Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. We're in a series just now which we call Game Changers. We're looking at people in the Bible who really God used to make a difference. I was singing at home nursing my wounds uh, last Saturday, a week from yesterday, and uh, I, I looked at my phone. I'd got an email, and I got an email from someone I don't know who said to me, I talked to someone from your church. They tell me you don't believe the Old Testament and that you preach Jesus, but you drive home the point that the Old Testament is irrelevant. Can you please explain to me why you believe the Old Testament is irrelevant? Is it true you don't believe it? So I replied to the email, no. No, that was it. That was it. Don't wait for anything else. Don't wait for anything else. No. And then I got another said, no, is that all you're giving me? Won't you explain why you don't believe the Old Testament? And I, I, I sent another email back, and um, I revised it several times, and I was very gracious in the end. Um, I've never been accused of not believing a part of the Bible. I have been accused of sticking to the Bible too much and not giving in to social trends and latest patterns. But I've never been accused of not believing a part of the Bible. You've only got to sit in one service or listen to one sermon online, and you'll find, I believe it all from cover to cover, Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, what's interesting is, is, is that, you know, last Sunday, Charlotte preached from the Old Testament. Today, I'm going to be in the Old Testament. Next week's Old Testament. The week after is Old Testament. And I'm not trying to prove a point to somebody I don't even know. I'm just, you know... <laughs> I believe it all, cover to cover, and it works. It works. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says this. It says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Everything that's written here was written for us. The reason we teach the Bible, we look at the Bible, and, and there's certainly there are folks who say it's outdated and was for a past generation, but I want to tell you this. The reason it's relevant is that human nature hasn't changed, and God hasn't changed. So if you want to see how people acted and reacted in different situations, if you want to see how God helped people and was with people, it's all here written in the book. God never changes. And God has no favorites, which is good news for us. So, I want to take a look today at, a, at an Old Testament character by the name of Joshua. Now, if, if I mention Joshua, and some of you might have some knowledge of where Joshua figures in the Bible, um, there are probably two main things for which Joshua would be immediately known. The first is that Joshua was the person who led the children of Israel into the land God had promised them after the exodus from Egypt 
Moses led them through the wilderness for 40 years, but Joshua led them into the promised land. So some of you will know that about Joshua. The second thing you might remember is that Joshua did the battle of Jericho, right? So, and the walls came tumbling down. So Joshua led the people of Israel in the defeat of the city of Jer Jericho miraculously. And those are two of the highlights in the Bible about Joshua. He became the leader of God's people when Moses died. But here's, here's what I want to suggest to you. When Moses died, God did not get onto LinkedIn straight away and see who he could find now as a replacement. He did not get a headhunter to do a search and to recommend who could take Moses' place. Because when Moses died, Joshua had already nailed the fundamentals and was ready to step up and become the leader that God intended him to be all along. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to come cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. As soon as it happened, God knew what was going to happen next, and what was going to happen next was Joshua was the man to take on this huge task. Now listen, you can't wait till you need to be ready to get ready. You need to be ready when you need to be ready. That was confusing, wasn't it? You can't wait till the moment to say, oh, I better get prepared. The truth is you need to be prepared for when the moment comes. And the reason that Joshua was successful was that he was a young man who was prepared when the moment come. He came. He had done the essentials for years in his life, taking care of the basics. And here's what I want to tell you. If we want to see our lives fulfill God's purposes in total, then you know what? We need to be people who are constantly taking care of the fundamentals. Game changers. Because when a challenge comes along, we don't need to rise to the occasion. We need to draw from our foundations. But if there's no foundation, there's going to be a collapse. If you want to be the best parent, I'm sure you do, you can be. If you want to be a healthier husband or a wife, if you want to see God make you, just make you a blessing to people around you on a day-to-day -day basis, then, you know, let me talk to you about what matters most. And it comes down to doing a few things consistently well. And I find this from the life of Joshua. Number one, game changers are humble. Great leaders are always great followers first. Lasting leaders are great followers. In 3 John chapter 1, well, there's only one chapter, but anyway. In 3 John verse 9, it says this, I, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. 
It's an interesting phrase. We don't have any diotrophies in our church. Not that I know of. I struggle remembering some names at times, but to the best of my knowledge, there's no diotrophies here this morning, right? But it's not the name of this guy. It is the nature of this guy we don't have. So what John is saying is I've had problems because there's this guy who is in your church, and he just wants to be first. And you know what? People who want to be first are never the people who should be first. The truth is that great leaders are people who learn to serve. And if we want to be the people God has intended for us to be, then you know what? The number thing, one thing we need to be aware of is this. Game changers are humble people. He loves, I, I loved, last night we had a, we had a, a banquet here. We, we ate fantastically, right? Uh, and this whole place was done, we had invited everyone who volunteers in any area of ministry in our church. That means that invitations went out to over 200 people. How about that? Over 200 people are involved in some way or another in what we do as church family. And we had a banquet last night, and it was, it was great. This whole place was filled, right? And it, it looked beautiful, and, and just the, the whole atmosphere here, people just hanging out together, sharing together, eating together, knowing that we're all involved in this together. No egos to be stroked. No one looking for special recognition, but actually just doing what we can to make God's Word happen. No superstars in this church, but a lot of servants, and that's what makes things so special. In, jo in Numbers chapter 11, it says this about Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, it, it, it says, had been Moses' aid since youth. What Joshua had done since he was very young is basically he'd been there to help Moses out. Whatever Moses wanted to be done, to, do, to be done, and he could ask Joshua to do. He watched him. He lived alongside of him. He saw Moses. He saw the good, the bad, and the ugly in Moses, because there was that as well. But he saw it all, and he learned from it. And you know, as you, as you, as you live with, with other folks around you, or if you look sometimes at Christian leaders, the fact is you'll find that we don't get it all right all the time, right? I, I am not perfect. You didn't need me to tell you that, right? You'd work that out, right? But here's what we do. Here's what we do. We do not criticize the shortcomings of others, but what we do is we learn from them ourselves. Shall I say that again? We don't criticize the shortcomings of others, but we learn from them for ourselves. So when Moses messed up, Joshua learned that's one way not to do it. But he learned from him patiently from the time that he was just a young man. He'd gone to war with Moses. He'd been there when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He was there when Moses sinned and disobeyed God, and God said, because you did that, Moses, you're not going to enter into the promised land yourself. Lasting leaders are great followers. In fact, let me say this. If serving is beneath you, then leading is above you. I'll let you think that one through for a minute. If serving is beneath you, leading is above you. I, I'm so glad that from the time I came to know the Lord, just before my, um, 
12th birthday, um, I was in a church environment that encouraged involvement. And so that even when I was kind of in my early teens, I was doing things that kind of were, were a practical assistance and support in the life of the church. When I was about 15, our church building had a, we, we had a schedule for cleaning and we had teams and you take a week each every couple of months and you cleaned the church. And my friend and I as teenagers, Tom and I, we were on the list. My mother thought that was hilarious. She said, have they looked at your bedroom? <laughs> but Tom and I would do that. One, one week, every couple of months, we'd go down there, and it was a pretty big place, and we cleaned the whole place, and we swept, then we vacuumed, and we polished the seats, and we said, people are pigs. And it was like, <laughs> no, it was, no, they, they, left, they left incredible mess. But we did it because that was part of what we did. And I got involved in a hands-on basis. Listen, if you're not willing to get your hands dirty, there's nowhere further to go in church life. There, there really isn't, because it's not about us. We learn to serve. We learn to do whatever needs to be done to support the mission and the ministry. Luke 22 and verse 27, here's what Jesus said. He said, I am among you as one who serves. Right? Hey, Jesus, just define yourself. I'm the greatest preacher the world has ever known. That's not what he said, but he was. Jesus, define yourself. I'm the person who does, does miracles that would actually blow your mind. He didn't say that, but he actually did do that. Now, here's how Jesus defined himself in his ministry. He said, I am among you as he who serves. The best thing we can do in life is to look for ways in which we can be a blessing to other people. Amen. The most fulfillment you will ever find in life is finding ways that you can serve somebody else. You can lift somebody else up. You, you can be a blessing to some other individual. That's where it is. And you know what? You know why that's such a blessing in life? Because when we do like that, when we do that, we're doing the kind of things Jesus did. And we're showing the nature, and we're showing the character of Jesus. First Peter 5, in verse 5, Peter writes to some leaders in the church, and he says, in the same way you that are younger submit yourself to the elders, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because, look at this, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Don't look to be waited on. See if there's someone you can serve. Game changers know what really matters, and they do it consistently. Game changers are humble. Second thing I want to say is this that I find from the life of Joshua. Game changers are courageous. There's a background story here. So while Moses is still around, they come to the border of the promised land, and Moses says, you know what, we need to go and check it out, or we need to get a report back so we know what's going on in there, what's where, who goes where. And uh, so he sent 12 people in as spies, and they went into this land of Canaan that God had promised to Israel, and they took a good look. And they came back, and they brought back the report of how it looked in Canaan. And here's what it says in Numbers 14 and verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, because he was one of the twelve, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, 
All right, let me back up here. Sorry, let me, let me back up. So they come back, and 10 of the spies say, it's a beautiful place, but we'll die if we go there. Their armies are incredible. There are so many of them. So nice place, good idea, Moses, maybe not. So when Joshua and Caleb heard this, it says they tore their clothes. That was a sign of distress. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So here's, here's Joshua and Caleb. So 10 guys are saying, we've been there. It's a beautiful place, but it's not going to happen. Joshua and Caleb say to everybody, listen, listen, don't, don't, don't rebel against God. We've been there too, and we saw it's a beautiful place. But here's how it looked to us. What, how it looked to us is God himself will devour the people of the land. They don't have any protection because God is with us. And if God is with us, we don't need to be afraid of them. People who are effective game changers, people who make a difference, are people who recognize, hey, this looks scary, but with God's help, I can do it. Game changers are courageous people. Joshua said, don't let them discourage you. Don't let them put you down. He didn't minimize the problems. They said there's some of the people there are humongous. He didn't disagree with that. They said their armies are vast. He didn't disagree with that, but he disagreed with the conclusion But because his conclusion was, but if God is with us, then we can take the land. And I want to tell you this this Sunday morning, however big the giants that are in your view right now might be, and however large the army seems to be of stuff that's working its way against you. The truth, the simple truth is this. Since God is on your side, you cannot do anything but win. Amen. Cannot. Cannot. There is only one possible outcome. If a child of God is defeated, God's honor has been diminished. If a child of God is defeated, God's word has fallen, and God's word has failed. But God's word has never failed. God has never let his people down. And the fact is this, if you are pushing against stuff this Sunday morning, I want to encourage you, be strong, be courageous. Keep pushing forward. The other spies just didn't see it. They magnified the problem, and they minimized God. What Joshua did was he maximized God, and that minimized the problem. Listen, there will always be people who say you can't, including the voices in your own head. But with God, nothing is impossible. You can't. And some of you may have believed the lie, you can't. You will never get over that loss. You'll never beat that sin. You're never going to get married. You'd be rejected for that job, so why apply? It's my second marriage, and they get complicated. I guess it's not going to work. 
Be courageous. Be courageous. God said to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Be strong. Be courageous. Be careful to obey all the law. In other words, you know, keep this in front of you. Keep this before you. If you don't keep what God says in front of you, I want to tell you this. What your own fear, self-doubt, and the devil himself will try to sow there, that will fill your heart and your mind and your expectations. But if you will keep God's Word before you, then you know what? The truth of God's Word and the promises of God's Word are what will help you to be courageous and not be afraid, even though everything around you looks like it's going to be disaster. In the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, the the, the background was that the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed, and God called Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of the city. And none of the people who were the enemies of the people of Israel wanted to see their capital rebuilt, and they did their utmost to discourage them and to threaten them. And in Nehemiah 4:11, it says this, Our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them, and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. So here they are, and they're becoming extremely discouraged because they're being told, you know know what? There are so many people that are opposed to us that enemy forces will come, and they'll come, and they'll get among us, and they're going to destroy us. And then it it says there, there were Jews who lived near them, who lived near the enemies. Now, I want to give you a tip this morning. Don't pay too much attention to Christians who live too near to the enemy. Because Christians who live too near to the enemy will be more aware of what the enemy is saying than they are of what God's saying. The Jews who lived near them, the enemy, came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, you'll attack us. We're dead, they said. We're done. We better stop this. This isn't going to work. And you know what? They suddenly became the mouthpiece of the enemy. But then, Nehemiah said, verse 13, Therefore, he says, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Listen, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Hey, you can't look in two directions at the same time, right? So if they were looking at the enemy, they weren't looking to God. So he says, listen, don't be afraid of them. Don't look in that direction. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And God's word to some of you sitting here this morning is this. Don't listen to the negative voices. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Fight for them. Fight for them. 
Sometimes it's not going to be easy. You're going to need to be courageous. Sometimes it's going to be challenging. But the fact is this. Don't look at the negativity. Fight for those that God has given to you. We used to sing a song many years ago because I've lived many years. And it went a bit like this. Part of it did. It said, faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities and shouts, it shall be done. I like that. I like that. Faith looks at the promises and says, yep, that's going to happen. And then faith laughs at impossibilities and says, hey, here we go with God. And cries, it shall be done. Game changers are courageous. Somewhere along the line, people seem to pick up the idea that with Jesus, life would be easy. No, with Jesus, life's good. With Jesus, life's a heck of a lot better than it was before. Yeah, that would have been a great chance for most of you to say amen, but we'll take that, we'll take that as a given, right? But right, but ain't that the truth, right? It really, it, it really is. But, but they seem to misunderstand. When, you know, when Jesus said, come to me, all you that are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you, taking the picture of the oxen. Uh, and, and he said, you know, come get linked up with me. He, but what he didn't say is come to me, you're the weary and heavy laden, and let's go hang out at the beach. <laughs> right? No, we still got the picture of the oxen working the fields. And you know what? Sometimes life is toilsome. Sometimes life is wearying. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's really challenging. But what, thank God, makes the difference is tough as the going is, Jesus is right there beside us. That's the big thing. Game changers are courageous. And then the third thing from the life of Joshua I want to just leave with you is this. Game changers grow their faith. There's an interesting passage in the book of Exodus in chapter 33. And uh, here's what it says. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of, the meet, of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So Moses went to meet with God by himself. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud that symbolized God's presence would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses... No, that's part of the previous sentence. You got the gist of it. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But look at this last bit with me. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses would go away, and, and Joshua, his aide, would be with him, and Moses would go to this tent where he met with God, and there would be the symbol of the presence of God there, the cloud that, that, that showed that God was present, and all of the people would 
uh, from a distance would be worshiping as Moses was there encountering God. And then it says, when, when, when Moses went back to the camp, his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Listen, Joshua didn't become a great leader the day Moses died. What happened the day Moses died was what was inside suddenly came to the fore. And I'm going to tell you this, at our times of opportunity and our times of crisis are not when we suddenly learn to trust God or we suddenly learn faith. What we need to do is establish the foundation of fundamental things in our lives day by day so we're ready for the moment. Joshua stayed. He wanted to be where he could feel the presence of God. You know what I'm talking about. You felt the presence of God. He wanted to be where he could feel the presence of God. God was in that place, and Joshua didn't want to leave it. I'm not just talking here about how being in church is important, because you can be here and your heart far away, so you never sense the presence of God. And enjoying the presence of God is not just something to do for an hour on a Sunday morning either. What I am saying is this. There need to be times and places in our lives where we take the opportunity to meet with God, to reconnect with God. It could be two minutes in the middle of a busy day. You just shut yourself away from everything else like Moses did. And I need to reconnect with God. It could be in a few minutes you take at the beginning of a day. As well, it could be the minutes you take at the end of the day. But Joshua loved the presence of God. And we need to be in the place where we recognize there is something far bigger when we do come together as church to worship, there's something far more significant than everything that's happening around the place. And what is significant is we feel we connect with God. I want to be where God is. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures in your right hand. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So you say to, you know, so you say to the psalmist, hey, what's your happy place? He says, my happy place is the presence of God. And when we get used to spending time in the presence of God, and we ensure we continue to spend time in the presence of God, we're working on the foundation that will help us to be the men and women we need to be. In fact, when, when David sinned his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 and verse 11, he says this to God. He says, don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, I just need to know you. I need to be with you. God, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Joshua didn't become the leader of Israel because he was necessarily the smartest or the strongest or the oldest. He became the leader of Israel because he was a young man 
who had been doing the basics well. And when the challenge came, he was up to it. And we need to be men and women who do the basics well so that when life's challenges come, we don't rise to the occasion. We draw from our foundation. That means we need to be people who are humble. It means we need to be courageous and to push through. And it also means that we need to grow in our relationship with God. So, since it's a day for quoting old hymns, here's another one. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? Return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. And it might be that you're here this morning, and those words could be your words, really. Where's the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Because you've drifted. Hey, you're here in church, but the presence of God, the relationship with God isn't what it once was. And the prayer is return. Oh, holy dove, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, return. God, 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 come back. God, come back. I want to, I really want to know you and to feel you and to live in relationship with you. That, folks, is the fundamental. It's not all the doing. The doing comes out of the relationship with Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.